Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. crime fans, and welcome to another episode of A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. Thank you for joining me again today for another sad and demented story. This one is particularly demented. Today we are going out to Moncton, New Brunswick. This story was a listener recommendation by somebody that would prefer to be anonymous. This case deals with addiction and drugs. And it's a difficult one because on one hand, I understand addiction to a certain degree. Sometimes it starts as just fun and gets out of hand and then other times and I think more often it's to mask uncomfortable feelings from traumatic experiences. So I generally have compassion for people struggling with addiction because I know that their lifestyle can put them at risk for being victims of violent crimes. However, on the other hand, certain drugs like meth and crack cocaine can actually create violence in someone where it wasn't there before. So I'm torn in my levels of compassion. Can I have compassion for one that becomes a victim, yet disgust for another that turns violent? I think it's much the same with mental illness. I understand that serious mental illness can take away a person's reality and logical thought process, but it's no less infuriating when a violent crime is committed. So in the end, I decided to tell the story, let you guys decide for yourself how you feel about it but I decided to do it as a bonus episode rather than my regular weekly ones. This is the story of Bailey Wiley. In the evening of December 16th, 2015, single mom Ashley LeBlanc is preparing her kids for bed. She has four kids ranging in ages from 10 months to six years old. So her evenings are busy. 
There's a knock at the door, and when she opens it, there stands two young men in their late teens, very early 20s, asking if she has a lighter they can borrow. Ashley was somewhat familiar with the partying that went on in the next unit of her New Brunswick public housing complex where she lived. She had heard partying and at times fighting for a couple of days before from coming from the three-story apartment next door. She overheard them talking about doing lines and witnessed the comings and goings of numerous intoxicated people. And earlier that evening, she had briefly spoken with the young woman that occupied the unit when she went out for a cigarette. But she wouldn't say they were friends. She just knew her a bit. One of her sons had played with the young woman's sons a few times at the park. Ashley wasn't the type to make waves and preferred to keep to herself. So rather than complain about the noise, she went to bed around 12.30 a.m. She was woken up in what felt like only minutes later by a fire alarm going off and the sounds of her children crying. She immediately gathered everybody up and ran outside to safety where she saw firefighters were busy fighting the, the blades in the middle unit of her complex. So this is a triplex. So it's kind of like a townhouse or a condo with three units side by side but connected by common walls and it's in a public housing complex. Public housing is often called subsidized housing. It's for low-income families who pay a small amount of rent in exchange for their accommodations. Kind of like a shelter, but for families that are working and that are just struggling to make ends meet. Firefighters arrive at 96 Sumac, including Fire Chief Charles LeBlanc. No relation to Ashley. He initially notices that the basement window and first floor window are broken out. And when he enters the building, he immediately sees that there's actually three fires burning. Two on the upper level, and one on the main level. The origin of the fire is incendiary, meaning it's purposely lit. And the fact that there are three fires burning is unusual, and immediately points to something criminal. Jacques Goulet is a firefighter that also received dispatch for the fire at 96 Sumac. Being that it's a middle unit with two other units attached, it's escalated to a very serious matter. He and Captain Daryl Doucette enter the building. The kitchen area was completely filled with smoke, and the place was cluttered, and there's toys scattered around, so they're very concerned about victims, and they heard crackling upstairs, so they went up there first. And they searched all the rooms, didn't find any flames or any victims, but they did find that, that there was more heat upstairs than there was on the first floor. And it just notices that there's a ton of clutter around in the kitchen and the living room is even more so cluttered, like it just looks like a, like a mess. Captain Doucette was in charge of taking control of the scene, but he couldn't see anything in the unit because there's just too much smoke. So he opens the back door for ventilation. And that's when he notices feet sticking out from under a box spring that was laying upside down over a couch. The victim was on his back about two or three feet from the couch and was obviously deceased. At this time, the fire is burning itself out slowly and the RCMP are immediately called in. RCMP Constable Stéphane Père Lemire found the body on the floor, a box spring on top of it. He was lying on his back, wearing a damaged t-shirt and boxers, with numerous injuries to his torso, legs, and hands. Because of the fire, skin color was very dark and he couldn't tell if it was his natural skin color. His eyes were slightly open and his hair was burnt. 
Pierre Lemire says that once the firefighters were done, he asked everyone to leave and put up yellow police tape and set to work collecting evidence. In one corner of the basement, there was significant blood spatter on the wall, but it was hard to follow because the water from the firefighting had damaged some of that evidence. What they did find was a number of possible weapons, including a triangular piece of broken mirror, a box cutter, a curtain rod, screwdrivers, a metal rod, and a dagger with skull and crossbones on it. RCMP interview the neighbors and identify the young woman that occupies the house as 20-year-old Marissa Shepard. The two men that had come to Ashley's door to borrow a lighter were Devin Morningstar, 18, and Tyler Noel, also 18. The body of the dead man under the box spring is identified as 18-year-old Bailey Wiley. He had been bound to a chair, beaten and stabbed more than 200 times. Shortly before fire crews arrived at Sumac, Claude LeBlanc, also no relation to Ashley or Charles, LeBlanc is apparently a very common name in Moncton. It was extremely confusing while I was researching this story. Claude is awoken around 3 a.m. with a call from his friend Devin Morningstar, who he refers to as like a brother. Devin is crying, but Claude is none too happy about being woken up when he had to be at work in less than two hours from them. But he goes to pick him up because Devin is his friend and you just do for friends sometimes. Only when he arrives at the address he's been given, he's even more annoyed now that in addition to a crying Devin, there's also two other people with him who Claude refers to as, quote, some dude and some chick. I don't know them, end quote. They are all throwing bags into Claude's car and he's growing more and more annoyed by the inconvenience. First, they want to stop at a gas station and get cigarettes. And by this point, Claude is steaming, but he's too tired and frustrated to even ask questions. He just wants to get home. So instead, he drops them off at Devin's place. Bailey Wiley was born to Amanda Wiley on April 6, 1997. At the time of his death, he was attending the Alternative Program in Moncton. I believe this is a place that helps kids that haven't, haven't been great with attending school or had issues getting their GED. His obituary says, Bailey was a warm-hearted, kind, generous, and caring person whose engaging smile radiated from him and could genuinely brighten any room. To his family and friends, Bailey's sense of humor, his laugh, and engaging nature were ever-present. Bailey loved staying connected to people through social media, posting photos, statuses, and texting friends with his cell phone, rarely at more than an arm's length. He rarely ever left his mother or grandparents' side without the words, I love you. We will miss him each and every day. Bailey also struggled with addiction issues that often found him trusting the wrong people and hanging with people that weren't always looking out for his best interest. One of his good friends that he had a connection with was Marissa Shepard. Marissa was a childhood friend of Bailey's. Life and circumstances separated them, but they reconnected in early 2015. At this time, Marissa was fighting her own demons with drugs, and at the time they found their connection, they were both working as escorts to fuel their drug habits. Marissa had a troubled past. Her mom had introduced her to crack at the tender age of 12 by getting her drunk for her birthday and then giving her crack to try and, quote, sober her up. 
By ninth grade, she was pregnant and forced to drop out of school. Her mom later died of an overdose in 2017. Bailey and Marissa worked as a team. They shared a cell phone and checked up on each other after escort calls, which they advertised for online. Although police knew that Marissa was the registered occupant of the 96 Sumac unit, she was nowhere to be found when police walked through the house. Fearing for her safety after learning of the two men that had been with her the night before, both suspects in the death of Bailey, they set out on a manhunt to track all three of them down to find out what had happened on that fateful night. Three days later, RCMP used a battering ram to open the door of 206 Broadway and found Devin Morningstar in bed where he was arrested. In the police car, he made these statements. I understand why you guys are after me. I was going to come forward. I'm glad you guys came and got me. I was ready to kill myself. Out of all the places to hide, I go under a blanket. Morningstar is brought into the police station and sits down to talk with Constable Lorette Lemieux. And in scattered thoughts and sometimes through tears, he details the disturbing drug field events of that late December night. Devin begins by winding a tale about his childhood. At 14, his parents divorced and he briefly followed his mom to St. John's, but hated it out there, so he moved back in briefly with his dad. Devin said his drug of choice was weed and his dad didn't approve, so he kicked him out for good when he was 16. Devin said he was currently working and he had a job at Tim Hortons on King Street, but that, quote, they don't put him on the schedule. Apparently I have an attitude problem and nobody wants to deal with me, end quote. McPherson starts to pull the story out of him by saying, no matter how you squeeze it, Bailey Wiley is dead. His family's going to have to bury him next week. You tell me a little bit, I'll tell you a little bit. Devin said, I feel like I'm going to have to tweak it. McPherson says, you don't have to tweak the truth. Five days prior to Bailey's death, the group of Devin, Tyler, Noel, and Marissa Shepard, and one other woman who I won't name as she left the house before the event, were at Marissa's house. Now, Marissa's house was used as a bit of a flop house. There's no reports of where her son was during this time, but hopefully somewhere safe. I know that Bailey and Marissa knew each other prior to this, but somehow through their lifestyle, they met Devin and Tyler and had invited them to the triplex to party. Despite having only met Marissa on that day, Devin said it was love at first sight and that he decided he was going to be the father to Marissa's son. Nothing short of drug field mania can explain the events on that fifth day. And a warning, most of the details from Morningstar are muddled and mixed up as to time, space, and general logic, but I think I've been able to put most of it together. On the morning of December 16th, Marissa comes downstairs from her bedroom and sees Bailey and Tyler, quote, spooning on the couch. Bailey tells Marissa that last night him and Tyler hooked up, and he's got pictures of it on his phone. Tyler was high and doesn't remember it. Marissa knows that Tyler's going to be pissed when he sobers up. Throughout the day, they're sitting around smoking weed, and Bailey's talking about it. So that's when the initial fight breaks out between Tyler and Bailey, but Devin also joins in. Sounds like this was just one of your regular drunken fights, just like a fist fight. Marissa tells them to shut up, and they stop fighting, and they all go down to the living room to smoke crack. 
While Marissa was out on an escort call, Devin says that Bailey threatened to report him and Tyler to the police because of the drugs that they had in their possession, as well as a firearm owned by Tyler. So they take him to the basement and beat him up. Now, they're all on crack at this time, so it was more likely drug-induced paranoia more than actual threats to rat them out. But it must have been quite a beating, and likely Bailey, and hopefully Bailey, was very high by this point, because when Marissa returned home from her escort call, she finds all three of them smoking on the couch, and Bailey is taking hits from a bong, and the smoke is coming out of a hole in his chest, which she describes as, quote, really gross. From what I've been able to piece together of the interrogation transcript about the motives of the events that followed are all conflicting. One is that Bailey and Tyler were jealous of Devon's and Marissa's connection and that he got to sleep upstairs with her on the first night. But from other reports, there was also still anger because Bailey performed oral sex on Tyler, who Devon said was high and half asleep at the time. But then he also says that Morningstar's weed went missing and he got mad. But that Marissa took him aside and said that he that she took it to set up Bailey. And yet another explanation, and probably the more probable one, is that Bailey was severely injured already and they all decided that he couldn't leave. Devin says that Tyler started the events that led to Bailey's death as a result of rage over the missing drugs and was trying to be, quote, gangster because Marissa liked bad boys, but they all participated in it. Whatever set them off, the three of them, Devin, Tyler, and Marissa, tied Bailey to a chair and systematically beat him and stabbed him with everything they could find. Devin says they started beating Wiley with a curtain rod. He missed at first, then went back to hit Bailey again. Bailey fell over this time and started crying but said that Tyler would not stop. He was ruthless. But at some point, they do stop, and they go back upstairs to smoke more crack, but leave Bailey tied downstairs. Later, he says Tyler told Devin to go back to the basement and check on Wiley, and Devin says he found him on the main level. Quote, Sure enough, he's at the back door. That kid is a trooper. After everything that happened, he managed to get himself up to the main floor by himself, end quote. He says he then cracked Bailey again with a curtain rod. Constable McPherson asks Devin where else Bailey was stabbed and gives him a diagram of the outline of a person's body. Morningstar takes the pen and aggressively stabs the diagram, ripping the paper with holes from the pen and says, quote, everywhere. The doctor who performed Bailey Wiley's autopsy found that he suffered more than 140 sharp force injuries, most of them while alive. Once Bailey was dead, they decided that starting a fire was the best decision as no body, no crime. But the group was disorganized while starting the fires and they were trying to move things out of the unit at the same time. Devin says he doesn't know who actually sparked the fire, but that the fire had started before they were done moving things out. He said that Marissa was spraying the box spring with something. Devin Morningstar was charged with first-degree murder and arson. 
Tyler Noel and Marissa Shepard were declared persons of interest but unable to be located. Canada-wide warrants were issued for the pair on December 28th. Devon Morningstar, Tyler Noel, and Marissa Shepard have all been charged with first-degree murder in the death of Bailey Wiley. Wiley's body was discovered in the aftermath of an early morning house fire in Moncton, New Brunswick on December 17. Morningstar was taken into custody shortly after the crime. The two other murder suspects, Noel and Shepard, went on the run. On January 10, police were called after Noel and two others were seen breaking into a cottage in Elgin. The three were arrested some 20 kilometers away after a short car chase. Shepard, meanwhile, is still on the run, having managed to elude authorities for more than three weeks now. She has a tattoo with the name Stephen on the back of her neck and another one of a crown on her chest. With an uncanny knack for changing her appearance, it might not be so easy to track the young fugitive down. The RCMP have received numerous tips, but none have proven fruitful. Citizens are being urged to get a good look at Shepard's social media photos and hopefully help locate her. So it wasn't until March 1, 2016, when a tip from the public led the police to the Comfort Inn in the area of Shidak Road and Louisville Road in Moncton, where she was arrested. Devon was the first to stand trial. He pled not guilty despite his interrogation room confession. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for the first-degree murder of Bailey Wiley and for an additional three years for arson. The first degree in this case was due to unlawful confinement. There are certain criteria that has to be present for first degree. Planned and deliberate murder, contracted murder, murder of a peace officer or corrections officer in the course of their duties, murder while committing or attempting to commit, the hijacking of an aircraft, sexual assault, kidnap, or hostage taking, murder while committing criminal harassment, murder committed in the course of a terrorist activity, murder in connection with a criminal organization, or murder while committing intimidation of a justice system participant or a journalist reporting on organized crime. So a murder while being unlawfully confined is the same as kidnapping, so it is one of the criteria for first-degree murder. Justice John Walsh said, quote, You deny that you are a monster, and I heard what you had to say. I've taken note of your age and that you help police. I agree you are no monster, but you will be held accountable for your actions. I have no words for the family of the victims or the accused. Two families destroyed, one literally forever. Wiley was no threat. He was a victim and a target for reasons I find incomprehensible." He appealed the first degree conviction on grounds of unlawful confinement. Meanwhile, Tyler Noah pled guilty to second-degree murder and arson with disregard for human life. Second-degree murder carries an automatic 25-year sentence, but varying degrees of eligibility for parole. Justice Stephen McNally took into account Tyler's childhood issues of growing up with a drug-addicted and abusive mom and a dad that had been incarcerated for most of his young life, but also considered the motive behind the beating and killing as perplexing and self-serving. In the end, Tyler Noel will be eligible for parole in 19 years. Marissa Shepard's case is a bit more convoluted. She initially pled not guilty in 2015 to first-degree murder and arson with disregard for human life and was convicted after a jury found her guilty. 
but the verdict was based heavily on the interrogation video of Morningstar that placed her at the scene and as a participant. She appealed her conviction and in 2018 she was granted a new trial as the videotaped evidence was highly prejudicial and should have been vetted and edited before being shown to the jury. She then pled guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter and arson. That case went to trial on August 19, 2021. In her statement of facts, she said that she had participated due to fears that Devin and Tyler would turn against her if she didn't. At that hearing, Bailey's aunt Angela said, quote, I once believed that monsters were make-believe. Now I know they live in real life. 2,072 days have passed since I heard his voice, since I've held him, kissed him on his warm cheek, end quote. Marissa wore all black and a mask and seemed not to show any emotion while Wiley's aunt read her statement. She responded simply with, I'm very sorry for what happened. I'm just sorry, but only briefly glanced at Bailey's family in the courtroom. Justice Jean-Paul Oulette agreed with the Crown's joint recommendation of 12 years in prison for manslaughter and three years for arson to be served concurrently. Marissa, who has been in custody since March 1, 2016, will be credited one and a half days for every day served. So that works out to about eight years she gets credit for, so I guess she'll be out in four. She was also given a lifetime ban on owning a firearm and ammunition and ordered to have no contact with members of Wiley's family. While she was waiting for her new trial, Marissa was keeping herself busy on Canadian Inmates Connect, a sort of dating app for convicted felons. Now here, I'll read you her profile in case she sounds like someone you've been looking all your life for. Hi, my name is Marissa June and I'm from New Brunswick. I'm currently on appeal, serving time on a life sentence, taken advantage of by our poor justice system, but they haven't defeated me yet. I do not talk about my crime as I am still going through the court appearances. I am a strong, independent woman with wisdom way beyond my years. I'm five foot four, well fit, slim, brown eyes, and naturally wavy brown hair. I am a girly girl who adores makeup and taking care of herself. I maintain a positive attitude, enjoy a great laugh. I like to do crafty things as well as drawing. I'm educating myself while I'm here and take advantage of my time to keep myself busy. I am humble and easy to get along with. I am pro-ethnicity and studying different religions. My astrological sign is cancer and I believe it serves me well describing my character. I am looking for nothing more than an intelligent conversation and meeting new friends. Hope to hear from you. Take care. Devon Morningstar's appeal was denied by the Supreme Court and he will serve the minimum of 25 years. The family of Bailey has said that donations can be made to the Youth Impact Danus Moncton. Their website is youthimpact.org and states that at Youth Impact Janus, we know that even one person falling through the cracks is too many. We believe our youth are the world changers of tomorrow and we are committed to ensuring that every young person has the opportunity to reach the promise of their full potential. They offer residential and outreach services, so if you feel compelled to donate in memory of Bailey Wiley, that is certainly an option for you. Phew, that was a biggie. I'm exhausted. I find drug field murders are exhausting. I kind of feel like after all the research I did that I'm on a bender myself. So that is the case of Bailey Wiley. 
talk amongst yourselves about how you feel about it. Join me next week for another case. Please watch my Instagram and website for updates. And as always, you can email me at a million other choices at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.